This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. Not Dungeons and Dragons, Joe. <laughs> Dang it. On this week's panel, we have Chris Fritz from the View Core team. Hi. Divya Sasiran from uh, Netlify, developer developer advocate. I can't even talk anymore. Developer advocate Net, at Netlify and View contributor. Hello. Eric Hanchett, author of UJS in Action. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up? Joe Eames, organizer of the Framework Summit. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And I guess I should mention the Get a Coder Job course that I've been working on lately. All right. So, Chris, you recommended this topic. So why, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of an intro and then we can dive in. Uh, great. You're putting it on me. Okay. So the topic today, uh, and we, we don't have any guests, uh, just to put that out there. It's just us discussing a topic, something we're trying out. And the topic is uh, doing good and doing well in open source. So, you know, being able to create resources that are really valuable to the open source community, uh, being able to contribute in meaningful ways, and still being able to like make a living mm -hmm. <laughs> and not going totally broke, like trying to contribute to open source and produce things that are valuable to other people. And we've all, we all kind of do this um, in different ways. And so I thought this would be a good topic for a lot of people who might want to get into open source or maybe already contributing to open source and want to try to like make this more sustainable so that they can do more open source work and, and do more work for the community. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm a little curious in what ways do you consider co contribution? Because I think most people when we talk about open source and we talk about the ways that people get involved it seems like most people at least value the most in a lot of ways the code contributions and there are a lot of other ways to contribute and so yeah i'm, I'm curious you know do, do we put a value more on one than the other well I, i'm counting it very broadly like yeah you know code contributions are obviously valuable so are documentation contributions so are answering people's questions on you know, issues or in a chat or in a forum. Uh, so are answering questions on Twitter or mm -hmm. uh, doing a podcast or writing a book or writing blog posts. I, I think there are a lot of ways that you can contribute. And also like building like component libraries for that ecosystem that other people can use. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, so really anything that like can make other people's lives like better or easier and their work easier I'm counting that as a contribution. Right. I think it'd be interesting to go around the panel and kind of talk about the various activities that you've found. I'm sure a lot of people have experimented. I think it's also a little bit hard when you're in development. You'd have to really be focused to not be contributing somehow. Uh, and again, I, I think I would call it just to the community, but sometimes even if it's just as simple as pair programming with somebody or mentoring somebody at your work, uh, I think we're going maybe a little bit beyond that. But um, it would be interesting to go around the panel and talk about what are the different things that you've done uh, in contribution to the community and what things 
keyed in and kind of made you feel like this is really how what I want to do. This is the kind of stuff that I want to do when I'm contributing. And I think again, it doesn't a contribution doesn't have to be completely unpaid either, right? Sometimes you get mm-hmm. paid for contributions that you do, whether those are stipends or ways that you make money back on things. But this is the type of thing that I want to do to give to the community. Uh, or I found that uh, really struck with me. And then that in- opens up something else interesting, which was, oh, I, I didn't like doing that, or I was afraid of even trying that. I think so, that's a great idea. Did you want to start us yeah. off? But sure. Uh, I guess start off with, uh, I'm super afraid to contribute source code. <laughs> wasn't, that was like the second part of my answer, right? But well, sh- Should we first do like the... Like, what are the ways that we enjoy contributing right now? And like, what are the different ways that we've we found that useful for us? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say I really love organizing things. So meetups, conferences, uh, I find that's probably my favorite kind of work, even though oftentimes it's also just horrifying when either something bad happens or somebody um, uh, somebody comes and says really, really, really bad things to you. Like some of my darkest moments in life came from organizing conferences, but they generally tend to be short-lived. And obviously a lot of the best things, right? When I first put together the first NG Conf and stood there and there was like 700 people in this hotel that had all come together to learn. And it was, they were there because of something that I'd done. That was for me a huge reward just to see all those people talking to each other, having conversations. Pretty sure John Papa was there at the time. Um, just to see all that going on, that was for me. So that's my favorite way to contribute is to organize. I do like putting out educational content like courses, but um, I think my favorite way to contribute to the community is to organize. And you do it so well, Joe. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Why do you think you settled on that? You mentioned that like it's it's really scary, and all like so there are like really low lows and really high highs. Yeah. Uh, what do you think makes it more attractive than other ways of contributing for you? Um, boy, that's that's it's kind of hard. I think it's because it's a, a very obvious result, right? Uh, you spend a year or less sometimes more with like a bigger conference like ngconf like i've been planning already started planning for 2022 uh for ngconf in just small ways just earlier this week but you you spend a long time but when it finally happens it's very obvious it's very visceral it's very physical there are people that are present there when i put out a course it goes off into the ether and sure i might see numbers that mean things and occasionally i get comments on a discussion board but that's a lot less than actually seeing people in place. Uh, less direct interaction and yeah. less direct feedback. Yeah. I would say what's funny about that is now that I'm talking through this, my second, by far my second favorite contribution is uh, sometimes I'll go and teach at the local like a uh, boot camp. I'll just teach like a day. And my favorite day to teach is their very last day, which is about interviewing. And so I do mock interviews with them and have them get up and whiteboard code. And that's really funny to see them like deer in the headlights whiteboard coding for the first time uh and everybody in the room when the first person gets up and and just freezes on some simple well not simple but some you know problem that you often get in whiteboard coding when everybody else is like oh my gosh i'm glad that's me not me up there right but that's actually my another one because it's such a direct interaction or getting to get like get on a pair program remotely with somebody those interactions like that people interaction i think that's my favorite so that's why i 
I would say organizing conferences is probably my favorite thing. There's so much interaction. Like right now I'm organizing ReactConf and we're dealing with scholarship selection. So we've got 400 people that have applied for the scholarship and there's about 50 tickets that can go out. So I got four, three other people that are going to help me. Uh, these three amazing uh, individuals and we got to cut 400 down to 50. And then just so there's just tons of really fun and for me, rewarding interactions with these people as we do this one particular task. And that's just one example of all the things you do when you organize a conference. And playing devil's advocate a little bit, like, why do you think organizing like conferences and other events for a community like NGConf or uh, Framework Summit? Why, why do you think that's useful? Um. Boy, there's a, it's a, that's an easy question to answer with like five different ways that it's useful. My favorite way is that I'll hear these stories after the fact about how people's lives have changed by attending one conference that I put on, right? Like, oh, I came two years ago and I talked to this person and I have a new job that pays 30% more. And now uh, I'm getting into, you know, this, I'm like totally changing direction on my career. So um, I don't know if how many people know who David East is. He's a big developer advocate for the fire for firebase um a lot of what he what he does he was really inspired when he came to the framework summit sean larkin who runs webpack he decided to start con looking at contributing to open source because uh he showed up to ngconf one year right so sean larkin is the core contributor to webpack not because of ngconf but it was like there at the time he was there at the right time and it gave him the right environment to say you know what, i'm going to start trying to do this. And there's tons of, I've heard tons of other stories of simple stuff. Those are some of my favorite ones. Uh, but so there are a lot of ripple effects too. Yeah. These ripple effects, getting more people into the ecosystem and helping them like build relationships with people who are already contributing. Right. And it's so funny because a conference, really the main product that you put out is videos that go out on the internet, assuming the conference is big enough, it can afford to record the videos and put them out on YouTube. Um, so that's like the main product and hundreds of thousands of people might see videos that, you, that a conference puts out on the YouTube, on YouTube, right? But the people that are actually there at the conference, the experience and the things that they can benefit from are so visceral and so meaningful in their career. I almost, I sometimes feel bad for when they're in the room watching the talk because those hallway conversations, the social activities, that's why I really love when I do a conference to spend as much possible time uh, getting people to interact with each other, to meet each other, to make contacts, to make friends, that get some new jobs. It inspires them to do better. It, um, I, that part, Ward Bell, who's a big uh, Microsoft and now Angular guy, when he goes to a conference, he never attends a session. I don't think John Papa ever attends a session that he's not speaking at either. They, they just sit out in the hall and talk to people, right? So... I think that's just super cool. And anybody can go up and talk to the core contributor. Like, Ev you catch Evan Yu in the hall, you can have a conversation with Evan Yu in the hall. Catch Chris Fritz in the hall, you can have a conversation with Chris, Chris Fritz in the hall. Yeah, and, you've just got to catch me. I'm fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, those, those things are so awesome to see. When I, whenever I organize conferences, I always talk to the speakers and say, you are the celebrities that people love to see. So make yourself available. Don't go hide in your room. Don't run away. Uh, as soon as the, as soon as five o'clock hits, show up to all the social activities, make yourself available in the hall when people come up and talk to you, be gracious and kind and spend time with them. Don't act better than them and don't think that you're not worth, worth it, that 
you know, they want to hear from you because they do. They're desperate and they love hearing from you. And whatever your story is can easily inspire somebody to radically change the direction of their career. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever been desperate to talk to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can confidently say I know that that's not true. <laughs> I, I was, I've been desperate to talk to you, Chris. <laughs> oh, wow. Well... Thanks. And I'm, and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and like even first time speakers, they draw so much attention of people that are like, I really, really, really want to talk to you and find out about your topic or about you. It's, it's, it's crazy. Even if it's the very first time they've ever spoke at a conference. Yeah. Divya was swarmed at ViewConf US. Kind of, not really. (laughs) What do you mean? Not really. You had a lot of people that that I I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, I think it was just like the content was interesting. So it like sparked a lot of, which is good. Yeah, you had a good talk and you were geeked out about <laughs> it. And yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's always the fun part, I think, of going to conferences. Just like meeting other people that are not based where you're based. So actually, I think this is kind of a good segue. Uh, like speaking at conferences or, or taking part in conferences in other ways, like that's another way to contribute, I think. Right. Absolutely. Is that something that like... Like that's something that you do, Divya. Is that something that you think is valuable? Yeah, I think I think it depends. And do you count on, that as a contribution? I mean, I do. I I think. I mean, to answer your first question, I think it depends on your personality. So some people really enjoy speaking. Um, interestingly, a lot of speakers that I know of are introverts <laughs> because they prefer um, being able to speak because it's one to many. And so you reach multiple people at once rather than having to have one, one-on-one conversations. And so you get to connect with people as a speaker and then people come to you. You have that benefit um, when you do speak at a conference because you get visibility fast. Um, and then you get to have really interesting conversations afterwards. So, I, but, but at the same time, speaking is also very nerve wracking and requires a lot of preparation. And so um, I don't think you have to speak if you don't want to speak. I mean, there's a lot of benefit to writing blog posts and, you know, contributing to an open source library or doing anything within your community um, that's super useful as well. Um, But I personally really enjoy speaking just because, again, the one-to-many interaction is really nice because in a sense, it's nerve-wracking in the beginning, but um, I feel like, I'm very polished and prepared. And so in a sense, it's like having a conversation with yourself or having a conversation where the other person can't respond, (laughs) which is really nice, I think. (laughs) So Um, it's like talking to your your pet or something like that, like talking to your cat or your dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like (laughs) talking in a very eloquent way. Which you have a lot of experience with or? I mean, uh, I don't have pets. (laughs) So I usually just talk to my, uh, myself. (laughs) Do you enjoy the preparation process or just the actual like when you're giving the talk? I think I I like the preparation a lot more. The delivery is a lot more, a, a lot of like, you're just in, it's like a lot of nerves. And then there's like the satisfaction afterwards, which is really nice because you're like on a high when you finish. But I think the preparation is the part I really like the most because um it actually allows me to, I, I really like writing demos. And I think I talked about this in a previous podcast with Sarah Drasner, where when I give a talk, I put a lot of, a lot of time and effort into the demos over. I mean, and then the content, the demos drive the content. So I like build the demos, which takes a lot of time. The content takes less time because building the demos itself allows me to flesh out ideas. And so I think 
I like the preparation aspect of it because it it's just like it gives me the space and the with and the time constraint to work on something that I really enjoy working on and that I want to spend time on. So I think that's like how I would do. I don't know. How about you, the rest of you? Do you prefer like the actual like delivery or the preparation? I think for me, I haven't done too many ta- conference talks, but I would say that the preparation part is the part that I do not like as much because it's kind of nerve wracking and it takes so much time to put together a good talk. And you, you, some people take months of preparation and then, then the anticipation of being in front of everybody, especially if you're talking to like, you know, a hundred or 500 or a thousand or thousands of people, I get a little stage fright. So that's, that's nerve wracking. So it's like when you're finally up there on the stage, it feels a little bit better. I don't know. And everybody else feels like that. Yeah. I, I, I get I get nervous about a talk right up until it starts. And then the moment it starts, well, there's nothing I can do at that point. <laughs> there's, there's literally nothing I can do with it, however it goes. And so I just start talking and do my best. And it might be, it might be the best talk I've ever done. It might be the worst talk I've ever done. And either way, I just hope it's like useful to some people, but there's really nothing I can do at that point. So the, the nerves kind of melt away once I'm on there. John, have you ever given a talk at a conference? Um, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few times. A few times. So uh, I know that this is like, I want to jump to the side just a tiny bit and then come back to what John was saying because I want to throw in something here. Uh, we're talking about like doing good, making contributions and the benefits that come, right? And obviously one of the benefits you want is to be able to make a living, right? But there's a ton of other benefits. And so there's like one really, really, really big benefit. I'm going to, I'm going to make John embarrassed here. I knew John Papa, who he was back in like 2000, 2001, because he was a big Microsoft guy that was doing lots of stuff. And he was like this person that I would read his blogs. And I totally like, I knew about him. Everybody I knew, all my coworkers knew about him. Right? And I was like, man, it would be so awesome someday to meet John Papa. And then I started got it, getting into the community and contributing in and, and various ways and stuff. And all of a sudden, like John and I are now friends. Like we get to talk about, we talk about personal stuff in addition to we do a lot of things together. And for me, that was like this culmination of this many years of journey of contributing. One of the greatest benefits is to get to be friends with somebody like John Papa, who's you know one of the most amazing people you could ever meet in your life. So, anyway, I'm having a hard time speaking right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but speaking, sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, I, I've had a lot of moments like that too, where I, I meet someone just like, play cool, Chris, play cool. Yeah. Just like well, act like they're a normal person that you haven't looked up to for a long time. <laughs> so, John, going back to what? That's the thing, at least for me, is, you know, we talk about what's the benefit of participating in or speaking at a conference. And it's after I walk off the stage, every time that I've spoken, at least a couple of people have wanted to come up and just talk about what I spoke about or talk to me about something else. And it's that personal connection. That's the payoff at the conference for me. Mm. So, John, when you do talks, what do you enjoy? The preparation, the delivery? I, I'm sure you're far past having, ever having stage fright, but um, what is it for you that's rewarding about giving talks? There's a lot. It's the whole package for me. It's one of the most exciting and fulfilling things that I feel like I can do for me, for my personal style. And I'm going to say both because the preparation side, I'm a little, well, I feel like I'm different based on talking to the people. I spend a lot of time building demos 
um, months building a demo that I can use and maybe tweak in different ways. I don't spend a lot of time writing decks. For example, the deck I did at NGConf, Joe, close your ears. I wrote that between 10 p.m. and 12 p.m. the night before the talk. Um, I work on the code. I work on the demo. I work on the thoughts separately. That's the fun part. Actually building the thing I'm going to show as far as a deck goes, not the code. uh, That kind of supplements it. I kind of whip that together quickly because I feel like if I do that over time, I'm going to beat myself up and it won't actually be a better product. So I've, I just feel like that part I don't enjoy. That way I get on stage and honestly, I spend all my time in my head walking through, this is, how, this is the story I'm going to tell. And I'm not constricted by this, you know, slide deck or pictures or whatever that I've had to put together over months. Honestly, my, some of my best talks are the ones that I walked in and I uh, threw the deck away and just started showing code and live coding too. So to me, I I like both sides of it. I enjoy it all. But the best part is afterwards when you hear people who saw you two years ago come up to you in the hallway and strike a conversation and go, I tried this thing that you showed and it really impacted me. And guess what? I changed it to do it this way. Um, Wasn't what you showed, John, but it was a, a variation of it. And I branched it and forked it and did this. And now I have this because of it. And that's so awesome. And Hearing how people took one little piece of what you did and could show the impact you had years later, to me, that's the hugest reward. And it's, it's really fulfilling. This has nothing to do with code to me. It's just fulfilling to know that there is somebody in this world that you're able to help build something better. You know, and it's, it may sound corny, but that's the biggest reason I like teaching. I teach workshops. I do the classes and it's why, Joe, you said that Ward and I sit in the hallway instead of going to sessions. I watch the sessions on YouTube. I go in the hallway because I literally will talk to 100, 200 people at a conference over the course of two or three days and have deep conversations with them. And I think too many speakers are missing out on it. You know, they're either um, in another session or they're off on their own or they're doing something different or preparing for their talk at the conference, <laughs> which happens a lot. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but I think you're missing out on. If you're not talking with people at the conference, you're missing out on a whole different world that could be so fulfilling for you and the attendees who love going to the conference and meeting, you know, a Chris or a Joe or an Eric or Divya. It's just, it's or an amazing John, feeling. Papa. Or ask, or the guy who created Papa John's Pizza, yeah. <laughs> which is not you, which is not you. I hate that guy. Do not add us. Do not add us. <laughs> so not me. I'm changing my name. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to change my name to Dom Knows. <laughs> Dom Knows. <laughs> Good idea. Good idea. Oh, Middle initial I. Uh, but Joe, you're a sweet guy, and my life is better because you're my friend, too. So thank you. Yeah, right, so there's a conference. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I just to say, there's conferences of speaking. Uh, let's move on to, uh, like, I, wanna re- I really want to hear from Eric and um, his YouTube content. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll say something else is what he he likes doing, but... Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, just go on. I'm definitely like you, Joe. I like to, I, um, I contribute not in just the normal, typical open source fashions where you're contributing code or like Chris does, where he helps with all the stuff he does in the open source code base and the to help stuff that he does. I do a lot of YouTube videos, and that's kind of the way I, I kind of help. I actually started off doing a lot of blogging. I wrote blog. I blogged for a couple of years. 
um, mostly on Ember.js and Node and things like that. And then uh, I got really interested in doing uh, videos and helping new developers, giving advice, and then doing videos on Vue.js. And one thing I like to do is, um, like you, Joe, I'm, I'm, I like entrepreneurship. So I like to try to combine it to the two. So I would like to help other people out. But if I can also help myself out, I, that, that, that's good too. So um, when I do my videos on YouTube, I promote my own courses, my own course, my own um, affiliate links, things like that. So I can also benefit from it. So it's really fun just getting out there and, and talking in front of a camera for 10, 20 minutes at a time trying to take a large topic and make it very succinct so people understand it. And, and that's awesome. So and that's way I can contribute to some of my favorite open source projects, including Vue. And, and what do you feel is, is different from like creating videos like on, on YouTube and stuff like that and other educational resources that people can consume at any time versus something like speaking at a conference, like at an event? Like what the, what, what do I feel like the difference is? Yeah. Like why, why do you want over the other? Like, why do you? Well, I definitely have a, so on my bucket list, my bucket list is to start doing more conferences. Definitely um, following the, some of you guys footsteps that have done tons of conference talks. I, I want to start putting up out proposals and doing that something that I haven't experienced much of. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so I, the easiest thing for me and where I am and is, is to just get on YouTube. And so that's where I, where I can contribute and help the most. I, I don't have any stage fright or anything about getting on camera. Um, it used to bother me. Like when I first started, it would take me like I do 20 takes on one video, but now I'm like, that's good enough. I'll do it one time and just edit it. So yeah, once you get comfortable with it, if that's the way I can kind of reach out to people and help somebody learn a topic that that's what I think is easiest for me and, and how I can reach the most amount of people. It sounds like it's kind of like uh, lower, like lower effort logistically. Like you don't have to ask anyone's permission to put out a YouTube video, you know, whereas yeah. you have to do a lot of coordination and planning with people in order to speak at a conference. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, what's great about blogging too. Anybody can create a blog. Anybody can just start uh, learning a topic. And even if you're a beginner, if, there's a lot of other beginners out there. And if you can put out what you've learned, there's someone out there that's probably going to going to like that information and Google and other search engines are going to pick it up and people are going to see it. Uh, it'll probably take some time. There's always a time where you're just kind of talking to yourself, basically going back to what Divya was saying. Um, you know, you, you end up talking to yourself a lot, but eventually you'll reach other people and it'll help other people out. And if nothing else, you're learning, um, you're doing it for yourself. So you're, you're, you're trying to explain a topic. It, what, what's that term? Like the rubber ducky programming where you, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Rubber ducking when you're yeah. just kind of like talking to something that can't respond to you just to give you a chance to like work out all the details of the problem. It's sort of like, like when I write a stack overflow question, like 90% of the time, just writing out the stack overflow question, just organizing all the information that someone else might need to help me with the, to solve this problem. Right. Is what actually helps me solve the problem. Right. And don't confuse a rubber duck programming with duck punching, my my absolute favorite JavaScript programming term. <laughs> I don't think I know of duck punching. Is this too much of a tangent or Paul Paul Irish? If you don't if you don't know what it is, Google duck punching and Paul Irish. He gave this great talk about it's it's actually it's like really a thing in JavaScript, but it's super funny and and useful. 
So, okay. We'll because, you know, in show. JavaScript, we have to make up words for things that otherwise normal humans would never know what mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do slash co slash views on view. Eric, I wanted to ask you another question. Sorry, Chris. I was just going to ask him another question too. Go ahead. About the creativity of doing the YouTube videos, right? So there's a lot of aspects of doing an educational video uh, on YouTube, some or a bunch of them. Uh, one of them, especially with YouTube, that I don't get as much with plurals, doing plural site. When I do plural site videos, they have to be very structured. Plural site has their ways they go through. You get to experiment a lot. Do you find that that aspect of having the opportunity to be creative and experiment with things is one of the more rewarding parts? Or is it really for you just, I want to organize this information? Like what aspect of, uh, of YouTube videos is the part that you enjoy in the creation process the most? And is creativity part of that? Or do you find that that's a low part of it? No, yeah, I, I definitely think that's an amazing part of, of YouTube is that unlike a blog, I mean, you have text, you can be funny, you can make the text interesting. But with video, you open up this whole new world of way of teaching. So there's a lot of successful YouTubers that are teaching development, programming, web development on YouTube, doing all sorts of different things. So some people, I know a guy named Chris John, he, he gives advice to developers and you can see him working. He, he's almost, if you heard of Casey Neistat, he does these really like drone shots of where he's working and he's talking about being a new developer and how he goes to work every day and some of the topics he's learning. So you kind of really almost like a reality TV show it's really well edited. It's really well done. And you could see like, this is how he teaches programming. And this is how he kind of contributes to the, to the world out there. And he has a lot of subscribers. And then there's other people uh, that, that are really slick animations. And they'll talk about a topic and they'll use some amazing animations from Keynote. And they'll put together a really interesting um, demo or a topic, almost like you would one you would see in a... Uh, a conference talk. Um, so yeah, it, it lends itself to creativity. And that's exactly part of the reason I'd like to do it too, is I can, if I want to just talk in front of the camera and just talk about a topic, I can, if I want to go outside and do a little bit of vlogging, I can, if I just want to share my screen and, and show a topic and, and kind of go through it step by step, I can do that too. So it lends itself to, uh, for creativity. I, I tend to just do a, a couple of ways I do my videos, but it, there's a lot of ways you can, and it is fun. There's some days I'm doing a plural site course, Joe, and I feel like, man, I wish I was Eric because uh, <clears throat> as much as I love plural site and the structured formatting, there's times I just want to go off and be creative and, you know, those structured plans don't let you. So uh, hats off to you for doing that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done, I've actually went back and tried to do a traditional course through a, uh, like a plural site, like site, I won't say who they were. And it was like, okay, we want you to stare at the camera for 10 minutes and go through this slide deck. And then at this part, you need to go into the programming, make sure you don't have your picture in the top, you know, bottom right hand corner, and you need to 
they even had each slide had like bullet points that you needed to talk about. I'm like, yeah, this is not my style of teaching. You are an artiste. <laughs> Do you have a process for like storyboarding your videos, Eric? What was that? I said, I asked if you had a process for how you want to create your videos in terms of do you storyboard or do you have any kind of process for that? Usually I, uh, depending, I, I have a list of topics I want to talk about. And then depending if, it, if it's like a technical topic, I'll make the program first. I'll troubleshoot it, make sure it's not bugs. And then when I go into the, per, when I actually record the video, that's when I kind of, on my other, on my separate monitor, I have it as a, kind of a cheat sheet in case I need it. And then I go through the program. But that's as much a storyboarding as I can. I know some other YouTubers who do exactly what you're saying, Divya. They have huge storyboards. They plan out every scene because they're only do, almost doing sketch comedy. A, a really awesome YouTuber named Jarvis Johnson. He has a really huge uh, YouTube channel, and he is a uh, he works at um, in San Francisco for Patreon, I believe. And he talks about he has these sketches and all these like funny things that happens to him during the day working as a developer in San Francisco. And he does, I believe he does more storyboarding, but I don't. Yeah, I yeah, I've seen videos like that. I watch um, a series called Fun Fun Function. And he does like he has poster boards that he holds up and like various cut shots, which just seems extremely timed well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's really great. I love Fun Fun Function too. So switching topics uh, a little bit, because I want to make sure that we get to everybody's contributions and all the different ways that people contribute. <laughs> uh, I think probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast might be interested in podcasting and how like podcasting <laughs> can contribute to a community. And let's say, is there anyone here who like, just like runs like a bunch of different podcasts and like has a lot of experience? Joe. Any good yeah, ones, yeah, you're talking any good ones that you run, Chuck? <laughs> I, I can tell you that I, I do have uh, a few shows that I've, I've run in the past and, uh, you know, co-hosts whose names start with J that are on multiple shows or real pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about John Papa. That's right. <laughs> um, no. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when I started podcasting, it's, it's funny cause people are like, Oh, you do all these shows and you know, they, they think it's, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like as big a deal. Cause most of the time I just get on and talk and then I pay somebody to edit them and publish them. Um, initially it wasn't that way. I mean, initially I, uh, I'd get on and I'd interview somebody or I'd just get on and talk and then I'd inter- uh, edit it myself, um, you know, put some intro music on it and then put it on an RSS feed. I, I think people have this idea that it's a lot more work than it is. And for some of the prep it is, but for the most part, you know, all you really need is to be able to record and you generally have at least something with a halfway decent microphone in it that you can record to. And yeah, then just put it out there. I think a lot of people might not realize this, but like the the podcasting that you've done has really been a labor of love. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at, at some point, I think I remember you talking about on maybe a JavaScript Jabber episode that like you almost lost your house, like trying to put together all these podcasts and it, it wasn't profitable, but like you really wanted to make them happen. Yeah. And that that is true. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I think we've got it mostly figured out. 
sometimes we hit a little bit of a financial snag when a sponsor pays late or something. But uh, I mean, for the most part, yeah, it, it's generally, you know, you can make it work. But even then, I mean, we run, we currently have 12 shows on the network. On uh, TV. Yeah, on devchat.tv. I have three more that I want to start. And I'm probably going to put those on YouTube. Those are going to be just me. But uh, I get requests for other shows. I have a couple of people who are asking about actually being on and starting other shows too. And so just pulling all of that together, making sure that everything's lined up so that it can launch is sometimes a little bit tricky. So, um, you know, I, I, I would expect a data a focus show sometime in the fall. Python? Maybe? I have had a lot of people ask about Python, and I just need to actually do the work to find people to host it. But I also, in some ways, as I talk to people, want to get away from the language-specific shows a little bit. Like, I want to keep doing the shows that we're doing and probably launch some more because I think those communities need a place where people come and talk. And I think that's the real value that we add, right, is... We all come together and we all talk about our experience and we talk about what we're doing and we talk about what we're seeing. And it's the water cooler discussion that not everybody can get at work. And so I want to keep doing those. But then I also see that there are some topics that go beyond just the language community. So you've got uh, data science, which I already mentioned. You've got AI, you've got IoT, you've got uh, sort of the agile development or development processes just cloud computing in general, you know, I could do a show focused on like AWS or Azure, but their offerings have several similar elements to them. And a lot of the ideas are the same, even if there are trade-offs between the different services. And so I see that as an option too. And for me, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the contribution and the contribution of podcasts, like I said, is really just the conversation that you wish you could have. And then having experts available that you can listen to talk about this stuff. So you feel like that's something that like podcasts provide that you don't often get at like conference talks or workshops or, you know, YouTube videos, stuff like that. This is a a niche that podcasts fill. Yes and no. I mean, it's different from uh, conference talks. I mean, the conference talks are usually a little bit more prepared. They're usually trying to get the point across in an hour. Podcast, we can bring people back. And so we can, we can go deeper. Um, the other thing is, is that you get the the podcasts in a format that they were intended to be consumed. A lot of times the conferences are built around the experience of being at the conference. And with podcasts, it's just you're part of the community like everybody else who's listening and you can, you can get them as involved as you want. And so it's a little bit more passive and it's a little bit more conversational. And I think there's a lot to that too. What do you think makes a good podcast, Chuck? <sighs> That's hard. I mean... We're still at a point with podcasting at this point that as long as you have good content and you're regular, you'll get listeners. What's uh, good content though? Yeah, there's the trick, right? Or at least as it relates to like tech podcasts. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, hard to put, it's hard to put your finger on what that is exactly. Just I mean, watch open... this podcast. You get an idea. <laughs> well, I mean, there are certain things that people want from a podcast. Um, I find that the podcasts that we do as I talk to listeners, generally what they're looking for is they're looking for something that will help them uh, stay current, stay on the bleeding edge, um, you know, write current software. I mean, even the people who listen that are doing, I mean, I've talked to a number of people who are doing like uh, XJS, which is a 
framework that I have used and hated. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and they feel like they're falling behind because they're not doing React or Vue or Angular. And even those folks listen because they want to stay current so that they can, you know, have better job opportunities. So they feel like they're involved in the community. And I think that's really what it offers. And so when you go into the content and what people are actually listening for, a lot of it is the hosts, right? It's, yeah, I identify with the way Eric talks about things, or I really like the way that Divya thinks about these particular issues, or, you know, I've heard John Papa speak at a bunch of conferences and I feel like I know him. And so this is my opportunity to kind of get his thoughts ongoing on some of the things that I've heard him speak about. And, and that's all community connection that people get. And then the other thing is, is that we do give people an introduction to topics that they may not hear about anywhere else. And the, the conferences are all focused around just the, the things that they can cover while people are there. And they are also typically, uh, you have a call for proposals that's a few months. And then that closes, uh, you know, four to six months before the conference. And so those topics may not be 100% up to date with the community. They're usually timely enough. And they usually cover enough, enough depth. I don't want to discount the value there. But with a podcast, if something new comes up, we can pull somebody in that week and release it the next week. And so it gives people that, that kind of staying on top of things feeling as well. And then we can also talk about particular issues that people have and see if we can, you know, cover those kinds of things so that people feel like they're accomplishing things where they're at. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but there are a lot of things that go into it and a lot of things that people are looking for with it. And generally, it, it is that community connection and that feeling of staying current that people are really generally looking for. Cool. And I, I feel like there are probably like two different directions that we could we could go from this point. Uh, and we probably only have time for, for one of them on the podcast and the time that we have left. And one is like how to get started and each of the things that we've talked about so far. And, and there are, there are even more things that we haven't talked about, like, you know, uh, developing courses and things like that. And then also the, like, how do we try to get paid to do some of these things? Like, how do we make them sustainable so that we can spend more time, like, providing value to communities that we're passionate about? And, and like, how do we feel about that? Like, talking about money is sometimes a little bit fraught and <laughs> you know, like if you no, I mean, really, like if you, if you put out a, a resource, if you put out a course and it's really good content, you know, some people can say like, you know, for me, especially like if I write docs, if I write, like if I put together any kind of course and then publish it and there's any kind of material that isn't in the docs, then people feel like, well, why don't you just put that in the docs? <laughs> Cause like, I'm like yeah. purposely keeping things out of the docs just so I can make money off of it, you know? Right. And if I, you know, if, if I do charge money for it, like <laughs> some other people will like, you know, pay, pay some money and then get a lot of value at it, out of it. And they'll feel really grateful that, that that resource even exists. Mm -hmm. And that might not be a resource that I'd be able to justify creating if I couldn't get paid for it. You know, it, it just because of all the time that it takes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, which way should we go? Should we talk about like how to get into like podcasting and speaking and organizing events and things like that? Or should we talk about the, the monetizing and making it more sustainable? Any should, we, should we do a quick vote? 
Th- those are full. Those are full topics all on their own. How to get into blogging? How to get into podcasting? Mm. How to get into you know courses? How to get into whatever else? As and, as the podcast expert, what what do you think we should do? <laughs> well, I kind of want to talk about sustainability personally. Right. Okay. Yeah. The, the yeah, money into things. I I think that's a more approachable topic that we still don't Same. have time for, but we can enter into it a little bit. Yeah, I think we can some. So. Okay. So just like this is an open question. Anyone can answer this. Like, how do you decide what you put out for free and what you try to get paid for? And with speaking, like, how do you decide when you're going to speak for free versus like charge a speaker's fee? And, you know, in organizing events, like, how do you decide? Maybe we should just go go around one by one. So we started with Joe before. Joe, like with organizing events, if you don't mind answering this question. How do you decide, like, is this an event that I'm doing to, to make money? And, and when do I, when do I make sacrifices? When do I like purposefully like decide I'm going to make less money in order to make something happen? Right. Um, I think one thing to start off, uh, with, which probably applies to everybody, uh, here and everybody that can listen is the best way to operate is to do something because you feel like it needs to be done and let the money follow, right? So if something really, really, really truly needs to be done and you can do it, then go do it, right? Be the person that takes care of that. And it's another way to say that is solving other people's problems. The minute you start solving other people's problems, money tends to follow that. Um, So I wouldn't say don't worry about the money. It's good to think about the money, but be sure that you're always doing something. So as a as a related example, when I started NGConf, I had no idea that whether or not I would ever be able to get paid from it. It takes about a quarter of my year now. So if I don't get at least some money out of it, then I wouldn't be able to make it as great as it is. Um, and but, you'd probably be like on the streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Then we got like a React Conf, right? So React, the story is the React team decided not to do React Conf. And I got together with James Dance and Matt Zabriskie, who organized React Reality, we went over to them and we said, look, there's got to be a React Conf. So it's got to happen. And if we, we have to, we'll organize it for free just because there should not be a year without a re- It's too big of a framework. It's too big of a deal. There must be a React Conf. And... So then they came back and said, oh, yeah, would you guys organize for a minute? And we'll, you know, we'll pay you, you know, something reasonable. So the money came afterwards. It's, it's, I've always found that when I go and I just work and worry about how I'm going to get paid later, that, that the money follows. And, I, and again, when I say worry, that doesn't mean think about it, right? I can strategize and worry about that. But when I got into organizing conferences, I did it because I loved it. And then because I was doing something that I loved, I started seeing opportunities that maybe I could do something related to this that might pay me. So I was organizing meetups and that was free. And I was organizing the Utah JS conference and that was free. And then things grew out of that. So that's my talk about if you want to get into organizing conferences, start organizing smaller things, meetups and such, and be responsible, be the person who really takes responsibility, make sure it's actually going to happen and thinks ahead every day. And then you start learning. And pretty soon you'll see opportunities for, hey, maybe there could be a conference about this topic. And we could try it out. Although I'll be honest, I've like tried to launch five conferences and only one of them has actually made any money. So be careful. <laughs> don't think the conferences make good money because they really don't. And, and one one quick note, if you want to like get into organizing meetups or other events, you can go to viewmeetups.org and there are a lot of resources for you there that Ben mm-hmm. Hong has uh, very, very kindly put together for the community. 
And I'll bet if you go to whoever you're meeting, if there's already a meetup, if you go and say, I want to help out, that there are great opportunities. Like the meetups that I'm involved in, we're desperate to have other people helping out uh, with organization. You talked about focusing on the, you know, just making something that's valuable first and then worry about the money after that. And I think that's true. You definitely have to make sure you're doing something that's going to be valuable. But with every kind of event, you're going to have a budget. Yep. And when making budgetary decisions, like part of that is deciding how much money is left over. Like, do you feel personally that that is something that's important to consider? Like making sure that there's money left over so that you can make some money off the conference? Or do you feel that conference organizers should like, as like a moral duty, you know, just try to break even? No, no, no. I think that it's totally fine for a conference to have money left over. And it, again, depending on where the money goes, it might go to the conference organizers. But it all, I also think it depends a little bit on how much time and effort goes into organizing the conference, right? So I sometimes help out still organizing Utah JS, and I spend very little time. I'm, I, I don't get paid for any of that work. Um, but it's okay to have a conference have money left over. But the co- number one thing is, if you're passionate about the project, about making whatever it is be great, sometimes you're going to make s- decisions that are like, well, this is, means there's going to be less money left over and maybe none, right? But this is the right thing to do for what I'm doing. And I care more about what I'm doing than I care about putting money in my pocket. And when mm-hmm. those things, you know, like maybe I care really a lot about... But that your- decision, I think that decision will be different. Like that's not always the right decision to make. Because if it means like not putting away money in your pocket means you've spent a lot of time uh, that could have been spent on billable work. Right. Yeah. And, I, and now you're not going to have enough money to pay your mortgage, and, which means like you're, you're definitely not putting out another conference next year. And then right. the conference like isn't sustainable. Like it can't happen anymore. Well, there, I mean, this gets a little bit into business, but I've, I've had to shut down conferences. I've shut down four conferences that I've started because they weren't sustainable. So I tried them one year. I tried to make them the best that they possibly could be. Yeah, sometimes I had to cut corners on the finances with them when they got really tight. And that was okay. Uh, I had to cut down corners. And maybe I had money left over. Uh, and some of them I did. Some of them I had small amounts of money left over. And I still shut them down because it just they weren't going anywhere. Um, but I always... And I think that... Uh, Anybody that produces something that they love is going to find this, right? I was willing to make more sacrifices to make it better. It's not the same thing as, oh, you know, maybe there's going to be $10,000 left out of this conference. And what I could do is I could spend an extra $10,000 and buy everybody a really nice jacket, right? Like in that case, I know that this isn't going to make a really make a difference to people, right? This isn't really going to make the conference that much better. So I don't have to worry about that particular thing. And there's aspects like that and everything. But... Yeah, I, mean, you, I think we should see the jacket before we make that decision. But um. <laughs> No, and I, I'm the one who always handles the budgets for all the conferences that we do as well. So I'm the one who's really worried about, is there going to be money left over? Is it going to be justifiable, right? I can't spend a quarter of my year on uh, a free project. You know, we're talking 500 hours. I can't spend 500 hours on a project that there won't be something left over to pay my mortgage. True. And I think that's, I think that's an important message to get out to people. Like, uh, especially in open source where a lot of people, you know, do do stuff in their free time. Like conferences are a lot of work and it's not always something that can just be done in free time. Yeah. I'm not doing a great job of like... And it's not greedy to to need money like at the end of the conference so that you can keep doing it. 
Right. And it's, and that, and it's actually in the attendees' best interest to, for the, the people who are organizing the conference to make some money so that they can put more effort and time into it. Right. Even the most successful conferences, and I've run a few, and I've had a lot of friends like Joe who've, who've done good ones and ones that haven't worked. Even the most successful ones, I believe it's a very thankless job because you do a ton of work, more than anybody ever expects. Nobody knows that you have to get 20 different people involved who are complaining about, do we use white napkins or black napkins to the table? How many forks do you want here? How many chairs go to a table? What's the arrangements of the tables? Every little thing has to come into play and it drives you nuts over all, all this long haul. And then somebody comes to the conference and you hear people say, well, they didn't have this in the room, so I think this is awful and Joe's a terrible person. And that kind of stuff is... Um, it's a pain. And at the same time, people like Joe will sit there and put in 90 hours a week, you know, to, to make these things come off. And while uh, like NGCon's an amazing conference there, uh, it's, it's one of those things I think that can be very thankless. So to me, I feel like conference organizers should be paid for their time because otherwise, why would somebody continue to come back? Maybe for two or three years, they'll do it. But uh, you see this in meetups. Go look at any meetup you've been at over the last 20 years and the people who organize them change all the time. You know, the same people running the meetups don't last for 20 years long because it's a ton of work. It's for free. Uh, it's a thankless job finding, you know, sponsors and food and all that kind of stuff. Uh, speakers who back out at the last minute and replacing them. All these things have to handle uh, all the time. And I feel like uh, because some of these conference people get paid, that's one of the reasons I think they pay more attention to it as well. So now Joe doesn't have to take time away from his job to actually do some of this using Joe as an example, because he gets paid for part of it. And to me, they should be paid. I don't do any conferences, yeah. by the way, anymore <laughs> like that, but I think they should be paid. It's a very, very difficult job. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Man, there, it is funny, but you're right. Give yourself a raise, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on a little bit, just in the interest of time, D Divya, do you feel the same way about speaking? Like, do you... Do you always try to make money when you when you give a talk? I feel like I'm on the spot. <laughs> I so yeah, I, you totally are on the spot. <laughs> so I'm really. And you don't I, have to answer this question if you don't want to. So I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I'm actually newish to speaking, so I've only started speaking like a year. It's been like a year or maybe two years. Actually, about a year. A year now. Um, and so, like for me, I feel this need to speak at different events just to like get my name out there, which is kind of what Eric was mentioning earlier with like putting out videos and things like that. Cause you just want the visibility. And so, um, go, I think this goes back to an earlier point where you're just doing something because one, you want the visibility and two, you really enjoy it. And three, you <clears> also <throat> get access to like a community of people all at once. Mm -hmm. But, um, for me, those at the moment, Trump, um, a speaker's fee, just because I think I gain a lot of benefit from going to conferences. Now, this is probably, this might change, like moving as I get more experience with it, because there comes a point where you cannot, you no longer have the bandwidth to do multiple events. And so when people invite you, you want to be selective. And in being selective, that often involves having a speaker fee, because then, you know, and if you really want to make sure that an event like really wants you there and yeah. then you will be there. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's a contentious point because I know a lot of people and I've spoken with you as well about this, mm -hmm. um, where people have recommended having speakers fees just as a baseline, because that's one way to like, make sure that you are given value 
as a speaker and for your time and effort. Um, but I think it, it, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of conferences pay for your travel and your like hotel and accommodation and so on. And for me, that in itself is kind of a fee. So <laughs> um, if you're already doing that some, some yeah, earlier in your, your speaking exactly. career, you, you exactly. might to forego the speaking fee. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it's a, if anything, like it doesn't, it comes at a, like for me, the cost is mostly my time and effort. And the fact that I'm being paid, like being paid, but the money goes towards travel and various things is good enough for now, just because it's like, you're getting your feet wet, you're getting experience, um, which I think is good. Um, and then moving forward, you can start to be more selective. And of course, like, this is my personal opinion, which like other people might, might disagree with this, but that's kind of how I've been doing things so far. You know, Divya, I was going to say, uh, I've just listened to Wes Boss and he does a bunch of conferences too. If you don't know Wes Boss, just look him up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was saying that he only does conferences if they pay for the travel and a speaker fee. But it, and sometimes he does it without the speaker fee. But as long as you cover the travel, he knows that. And probably like you, like at least you don't have to spend, you know, X amount of dollars to get your airplane ticket, find a hotel. I mean, everything's covered for. Yeah, travel and lodging. Yep. You know, as a speaker, yeah. I think you always have to just make that valuation like Divya was saying, how much is it worth it to me to go and speak? Because very few, like, uh, especially at the regular level, even, e- even after I've given a lot, I don't know if John's been paid much to speak, but I think the opportunities to be a tech speaker and get paid to speak are fairly low. Somebody who's been a luminary of the industry might be able to demand speaker fees. Wes Boss has a really high popularity. I'm thinking like Uncle Bob Martin, but I or, myself... Or I've, a John Papa, for example. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but I myself have gone to conferences that didn't pay for any travel. And they, they actually, this, my, one of my favorite conferences, their point, their statement was, if we can, we will cover one of your hotel nights and you need like four hotel nights because it's a really long conference. And other than that, I pay for all of my own travel. But I love that conference. That's actually the name of the conference. It's called That Conference. But I love it. I love going there and I love the people. And it's such a community focused event that for me, it's worth the money and the time that I spend to go. I haven't gone the last two years only because of conflicts. I had to go to scout camp and both, both years in a row, but I love it. And I'm willing to spend my own dime and and every speaker has to make that own determination uh, on each event. Right. I love the perspective. Yeah. I was just about to say, like, I'd love to hear from you, John, like you're on the other end of the spectrum. Like you, you have, you've probably, I think it's probably safe to say that you've done more speaking than like anyone else here. Probably than all of us combined. Yeah, actually, that that's that might not be untrue. <laughs> and yeah, so, I, like, how how do you handle this and think about this? And like, what advice do you give to people? Well, I think first of all, just listening. And I, I love, by the way, it's what I like to do at conferences. I like to listen to hear what other people's perspectives because you learn more than when you talk. <laughs> so, uh, listening to you all, I'm first of all just really impressed by the perspectives that uh, you've all had on this, Divya. I love the way you approach this and. Thinking about it. Yes, I think early on in speaking, you just have to take what you can get and get your brand out there. But even as time goes on, and it sounds like you're there already with it, as you've built your brand, you're still kind of in that mindset of, you know, it's, it's almost like for me, it's an honor to be asked. So when I'm asked to speak, I love that I've been asked. And almost the first thing I have to think about is, do I have time? I'm blessed enough to have a job as a developer advocate right now. So a lot part of my job is actually speaking. So I don't have to worry about T&E anymore, which is fantastic as Microsoft will cover it. Uh, but I have to then start thinking of, will my family be okay if I'm gone an additional three or four days? Uh, and because I 
put a lot of weight in that. And then the second part is for my job, is this something that's going to have an impact in some way? And it doesn't mean I have to sell Microsoft on there. Uh, it means, will I make connections that are long lasting? That's the way I look at it. Will I be able to, in some way, uh, help the community that's there or make a connection that might help um, them move forward as a developer? And it doesn't even have to be in Microsoft products, but just help them uh, solve problems, one of you said earlier. Uh, to me, I've been offered to been paid for uh, events and uh, I've turned it down. I haven't taken it on. And part of it is because I feel like I'm being paid already for Teeny, either by the event or now by Microsoft to be there. And this is an honor for me to be asked. And it's a chance for me to share information with a lot of people and to learn and observe. I feel like I get way more out of the conferences than the intending does. <laughs> I, I really do. So to me, I am not looking to get paid. I am not. If you offer great, give it to a diversity candidate for another ticket. Uh, I would just rather be there and, uh, you know, meet other people. But in the same sense, I have no problem with people who want to get paid for, for speaking. I do know some people who do. And if that's, you know, maybe that's part of your job, it's something you do on your own. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying, hey, you know, I need X amount of money to do this talk because it isn't just the hour that Divya gets up on stage. It's the four weeks you may spend before you get there. And then the three days you talk off to be there, there's a lot of time that goes into it. Yep. So it's not just, hey, John, it's an hour of your time, or Divya, it's an hour of your time, or Joe. It's all the effort and blood, sweat, and tears you put into it. So if somebody wants to get paid, I have no problem with that. But for me, I feel like that shouldn't be the reason you go into it. Yeah, don't look at other people's expectations as to whether or not it's okay to be or not be paid or whatever. As an organizer, I never get offended if a speaker says, uh, I'm only going to come if I get a fee. And then I have that choice of, well, not necessarily choice, but I have to deal with the reality of what's the budget of the conference. So I, have, I run conferences where we ha can't cover even their travel. Right. The local Utah JS Conf, it just doesn't like we can cover the travel of like one or two speakers and that's it. Yeah. I run conferences where we cover everybody's travel. And then sometimes there's a little bit more that we can pay for a big like a keynote speaker to come in and and come and speak and then everything in between. Right. And I'm OK. It's I got to find a different speaker if that speaker isn't going to work within the budget. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with saying I either need to be spoken. That's or a great else. way to go. I mean, yeah. you've got you've to be financially uh, sound. I want to make one deviation off this too, just so people get, a, get an idea of it as well. Many of us do workshops as well. You know, and if Chris is hired to go do a workshop on view for two days, to me, that's different than speaking at a conference. You know, you're doing full-time training for 16 hours over two days. You should be paid for that work. But if you're coming to talk at a conference and engage and inspire and motivate people and open their eyes to something, to me, I feel like that's just kind of, it's karma. You know, you're giving back to the community, hopefully giving, getting back as well. All right. I, I'm going to push us a little bit because uh, we have Adventures in Angular scheduled in like five minutes. <laughs> it always starts 10 minutes late, Chuck. So, should, should we do a <laughs> lightning round of picks? Like one yeah, pick we should do seven? something real fast. So <laughs> uh, we, we, we did drop. Unfortunately, we lost Eric, but it, it would have been uh, interesting to hear his thing. I, I would like to just hear one, w w one more uh, from... Uh, you chuck about being paid for a podcast how do you approach that because I, I actually know the realities underlying the economics of podcasting so you want to skip the picks then i, I think you i was going to give you like the 30 second you got the 30 second answer 60 second answer here well i'll tell you i do get crap sometimes for having ads in the podcasts 
And the reality is, is that it costs money to get them edited. Um, I don't think people really have an idea of what it takes to edit a podcast. I mean, we could just take the recordings and then, you know, add intro music and, and post them. But sometimes people say stuff and then they think better of it and things like that. Um, we do put a lot of work into making sure that they flow well. So, yeah, we had yeah. a huge fight in the middle of this podcast that you'll never hear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it sorry takes, for all the crying. <laughs> but it takes money I, for I, that. I felt like it was cathartic. It takes money for hosting. It takes time to go find guests and find topics and line up everything and make sure that it's all working and you know coordinate this. And we're recording on Zoom, which costs me every month and. And so, you know, there are things that go into this and the amount of time that I put in to produce 12 shows, you know, I don't have time to go take contracts or anything like that. I did that for a long time. And people shouldn't expect you to like donate a bunch of this time and then lose money. Like that's, that's just absurd to me. This isn't turning into the 60 second version check. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so, so that said, um, Chuck, what's your pick? (laughs) Money. I pick money. You pick money. Please sponsor the show. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes no money, fewer problems. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, um, I mean, th- that's a reality. Uh, can, can I do my picks first? Cause I'm going to go have to take a break before the other podcast. <laughs> that's fine. But, but yeah. So if you're looking to get something sponsored like a podcast, I guess that's the 32nd version. Um, I mean, go approach companies and see, but if you're really small, they're going to be sponsoring you basically on your grit. They're not going to be sponsoring you on traffic. Once you get a little bit larger, you know, five, 10,000 listeners, that's when you really start to get to the point where you can, uh, you know, pay a car payment or something on your, on your sponsorship. So anyway, it has to start out as a labor of love, like Joe was talking about. Anyway, there you go. I think there's a, a moral to wrap up with here, and that is whatever you're going to do to contribute, do it because you want to contribute and not because you feel like it's going to be lucrative and then figure out where the money's, you know, coming from. I, I, I make it sound like, oh, just do it, whatever, and the money will just magically follow. It's okay to think about money, but do first what it is that you enjoy, what you're passionate about, and, and then figure out the make that your first choice and make your second decision how you're going to get paid for it. Yeah. All right. Let's do some quick picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Chris, why don't you start us with picks? Uh, Or does John want to start since he has to Oh, John. Yeah, go ahead, John. Do a quick run. Uh, I have two quick picks. Uh, My first pick is Framework Summit, October 2nd and 3rd. And that's in Utah. And then Angular Mix, which is October 10th through 12th. And that is in Orlando, Florida. Two uh, great conferences. Frameworks somewhat more about uh, overall all the frameworks. And a lot of great people are going to be there. Joe, I believe, is one of the key organizers on that. And then Angular Mix is one where it's about Angular meets the enterprise. So kind of how to use Angular in large-scale applications. And uh, I'm going to be at both these. And it's going to be a great time. And I hope that some of you will be there. 
Are you going to go to Harry Potter World this time, John? Me? Uh-huh. Absolutely. I went last time, too. All right. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm a big kid, so I'll go anywhere that's fun. Awesome. They do take the attendees into Harry Potter World. Uh, it's, it's a party at Angular Mix. That's super fun. You should do that for Utah. Fly everybody there. Good idea. Good idea. Okay, quick picks. All right. I'm going to go. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, my picks, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I, I'm going to drop a, something into the show notes about what we did in the, the View Summit. It's a little blog article that gives you information about everything that happened, uh, which is really good. Also, View Mastery recently put out an article that talks about a bunch of View conferences that are coming up that you'll definitely want to check out. And then I've also been watching The Expanse, which is uh, the first two seasons, at least, are free on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, and that was recommended to me by Guillaume Chow uh, from the View team. And I highly recommend checking it out. Some cool sci-fi based on a series of books. That's it. Awesome. Uh, Divya. Okay, I'll go. Uh, my first pick is a Netflix show that I recently got into called Disenchantment that is by the same creators, I believe, of Futurama. It's really funny, really good. And then my second pick is a post by Christian who goes by CodeBeast online um, on handling authentication and view using Vuex because I think he does a really good job of explaining in detail how you would do that and how to set that up. Nice. Joe. All right. I'm just going to make one pick and that is uh, Keystone Habits. Right. Those are the habits that you start doing the one thing and then other habits follow. So if you're not familiar with the concept, you can Google it and find out a bunch about it. But uh, Keystone Habits, that's my pick. Nice. I was going to pick The Expanse. I just started watching it this week. But I'll go ahead and throw out another. (laughs) It's okay. Another book. um, I've been kind of going through some stuff and a couple books helped me feel better. So I'm just going to shout them out real quick and not give the long explanation I gave on some of the other shows. Um, but one of them is, uh, the traveler's gift by Andy Andrews, uh, terrific book, uh, seven life lessons. It's a narrative story. The other one is also a narrative story. Also teaches some life lessons, but it's much more Christian focused. It's the shack by William Paul Young. So, uh, go check those books out and, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you all for coming and chatting through this. And, uh, yeah, I guess we probably follow on to this next time. We don't have a guest. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to bail on you guys and go record Adventures in Angular. All right. Is that, is that our close? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that the official end of the episode? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And see. And cut. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.